What's up, Internet? It's Kyle. I'm Stu. And I'm Steph. And together, we are your control panel. Today's episode is going to be all about designing PCs or player characters. In most play-by-emails, the control team will create player characters ahead of time, and they will present parts of these briefings or information about those characters to people as they're signing up for the game to decide what ones they are interested in and which ones they don't want to play. And there's also a design component in terms of what to think about when you are creating and designing PCs. So that's what we are going to talk about in today's episode. So I think one of the first things we could talk about, which uh, is jumping ahead on the little sort of notes I've made, is this idea that character creation can be open or closed. So to just briefly define those terms, in, an, in a purely, completely open system, you would just write everything about the character. The player would just make a character with no stipulations. And in a purely closed system, the character would be handed to a player. They would have basically no uh, freedom to change anything. Obviously, that's not ideal, and I personally think both of them are like both of those extremes are pretty bad. And you want somewhere in the middle where a player's got freedom to customize the character, but you can still have some like making sure that they are in line with the setting, prepared like preparing for things you want players to do, the balance of the politics, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's between when I think about open and, and closed systems, I'm often thinking like open is more tabletop role-playing games when it's like, here's all the rule books, go nuts. Versus closed is oftentimes in, in mega games when you'll be handed a briefing and said, here's what you're supposed to do with your character, good luck. And you don't really get to customize anything. So I think somewhere in the middle is, is what most play-by-emails have done thus far anyway, and works relatively well to give players some guidance in terms of what they're doing, but also let them customize their characters so they feel comfortable and excited with playing them. And I think that's the thing we see in the briefings as well. A lot of the time we make a character, we make the briefing sort of hopefully by design so that it can be interpreted in different ways. And sometimes people come in with an interpretation that we sort of predicted and occasionally they take characters in directions that are while still completely true to the brief, like a little bit more unexpected, which is quite nice, really. But at the same time, that's why the casting process is so important. For those who aren't aware, when we talk about casting, typically before the game starts, you'll send out some kind of uh, survey, which will inquire about not only what roles are people interested in, but it's also meant to test, you know, their flexibility in on certain positions. For example... Are they more keen on an investigation role? Do they prefer using deception in their games? Would they rather have friendly or unfriendly relations? Some people prefer unfriendly, which is a bit strange, but it is a thing. But this is also to help inform the type of role that players are assigned. Because we provide them that openness of the brief, but not every person is correct for every brief. So it's really important to narrow that down even before we get into the customization. Absolutely. And I think on the design side of things, 
before the players get the casting questionnaire, when you're first sort of making your roles, while they are going to be somewhat flexible, it's quite helpful to think about what kind of characters and roles should be in your game and sort of why. And having done a bunch of these, what I've actually now done is I've created five archetypes or profiles, if you will, of like common player types. Now, not everyone's going to fall into these. Like, you know, with all categories, they are a bit, you know, homogenizing, but they're, they're proving quite useful and helpful to stop, stop us from falling into the kind of pitfall of just designing characters to people who think like us, because in all these games, you'll see people who play in a way that is just completely alien to you. And, you know, that's fine. Alien, different, it's not wrong, but it can be quite interesting and surprising to watch. Yeah, I think it's really fun to kind of get that behind the scenes glimpse as control in particular, because I think you get a really good sense of different play styles from your own, because it can be really easy to just think like, oh yeah, how I play games, that's how everybody plays games. You know, if I'm really interested in investigating in mysteries, everyone certainly must be interested in investigating in mysteries, but that might not be true. And I think it's really important to realize that not everyone is going to play like you do. And you want to make sure that you have PC roles available for just all kinds of different playing styles. I think now you've mentioned investigating, that's quite a nice sort of segue into the first role I've got on my list, the first of my profiles, which is investigator. So there are some people who just love to dig into the setting, uncover the mysteries, just, you know, get right in there. And, you know, that's fantastic. Of all the kind of profiles, this is probably the one that not all games are going to find useful, because if your game isn't really about or doesn't have mysteries or lore or secrets of players to uncover, then you can't really cater to an investigating kind of character so much. But it is absolutely an archetype we've seen a lot. In fact, we may even have some on the podcast today. <laughs> yep. I definitely am this kind of role in, in games. I really like doing all of the mystery stuff. It's really fascinating to me. I really enjoy those plots in particular. My last character that I played, which was in Dusk City, was literally a private investigator. So, yeah. And I think that's a good example of like, you know, I didn't make her a private investigator. That was something that sort of came with her brief. And she was very much designed to be this investigator type character, which was my first choice of playing, something that I was really drawn to because I love the investigating things. So I think a good example of, of casting and also how those go together. Uh, yeah, and that was a particularly kind of pure example. I mean, you're an investigator. We gave you a role who was lit literally detective. It's not always going to be quite that on the nose, but that is a really nice example. Yeah, I know it was a perfect example, but yeah, almost too easy for, for some casting decisions. And I think also not every... PC role that you design is going to be just one of these. Like it might not be, hey, this is purely an investigator. That's all they do. They often can be more than one type. In many ways, that is probably preferable from a design perspective to not just have every role be purely one thing, but to have the scope for them to kind of be taken in different directions and play styles. But you can, there's no harm in having a couple that are just, nope, they are this because you know, if you can clearly identify an archetype and you have players who are the archetype, they will probably be drawn to that role. Like the investigation of Dusk City, I think was a very popular role. Um, people were kind of saying their preferences before the game. I think it was really up there. And generally investigative roles or ones that are obviously investigative seem to be quite popular from what I can remember. 
Because everybody wants to play detective and like naturally get to the bottom of a game anyways. I think you'd be harder pressed to find people who don't want to dig into a game or into a setting very deeply, especially because you're going to be sitting with it for eight weeks. You get nosy. That is true, but I think those people are out there, and that will probably bring us on to one of the later archetypes. But I think next we'll talk about the politician sort of profile. So while the investigator sort of archetype was not always going to work for every game, I think the politician is probably the only one that really is like, no, this will always work. Every single game design, this one will work. So this is someone who is highly social, that will talk to a lot of player characters, or if you have them, non-player characters. It's the person who just goes out there and talks. You see these in like, you know, real life mega games as well as the online ones. The people who are just absolutely confident you're going to go and talk to people. And it often makes them in both uh, online and in-person mega games surprisingly powerful because... Hey, talking to people is like half the game, really. I think that's why it's probably present in every game, because mega games and play-by-email games are often designed with interpersonal interaction in mind. Like, that's one of the major parts of the game is interacting with people. And so being able to interact with people and be able to interact with a lot of people and do it well is something that can make you particularly effective. So the next role I've got on my little list here is one I've called a builder. So this is not quite the opposite of the politician, but they are quite different. So the politician is outgoing, they chat to lots of people. The builder is generally less outgoing. This is kind of more for players who want to carve their own little niche in the setting. Often, but not always, they kind of ignore the wider game, or like meta plots. They're more focused on making their own fun or working within their own kind of corner of the setting, doing their own thing. There are very specifically one or two people I can think of that take this on almost every game. Yep. And I'm thinking too, like, kind of back to what you said before, Kyle, about, oh, how how can there be people who aren't interested in digging into the setting? And not saying that, that builders aren't interested in that, but they often have, like, one piece of it that they're really into, less so than I want to find out all the mysteries, but more like, this one thing, I love it, and I'm going to do it all the time. I think also the builder is where you might find people who are like engine builders. So in like if, if you're playing a board game, there's someone who optimizes and goes for a specific, a specific strategy. And that might be viable in a play-by-email game. And even if it isn't viable, it might be something that some people are drawn to trying nonetheless. They are going to really build around doing one thing and doing it well. I think the danger in that, though, is if you spend your whole game working on one thing and someone else does it first or they roll better than you or they kind of come in and and take this over after a long drawn out conflict. It can be really discouraging because you haven't sort of broadened your horizons. So I'd say keep that in mind if you are controlling for a game and you do have players like this to just keep an eye out if things aren't going well for them to check in or to help them kind of get a foothold back in the game if they lose the little engine that they were working on. Absolutely. And when it comes to other people getting first, I think that's a nice little sort of lead in for the next one on my list, which is troubleshooters who are in some way the opposite of builders. So a builder is kind of much more interested in making their own fun, carving their own niche. But while some people love making their own objectives in mega games, the troubleshooter is more for people who 
they don't want to make their own objective. They want a clear direction to go in. They want you not to tell them what to do, but to give them a clear signpost and to sort of shoot off from there. Now, later on, they might veer off into all sorts of directions, but the troubleshooters are people who, you know, find a problem and they solve it or try to solve it. And there will, there will be people like this in your game. Um, not always, but quite often people who are kind of new to this will be more likely to sort of take on this sort of role in their first game. And... It's just useful, I think, to have those kind of people in mind when you make some roles. Roles that don't require players to be massively outgoing or do their own thinking and come up with everything themselves. Ones that are a bit more plug and play. That being said, I think with this, there's a little bit more crossover into other roles. Like troubleshooters can evolve into or transition through a politician role or even a builder role or investigator role. Like people who want to get down to the bottom of a game and also fix what's happening or people who kind of are one of the other roles but get drawn into solving problems anyways. So you can design archetypes specifically to try to be helpful, but I found that more often than not, it's something that people who are kind of kind of assimilate the game setting end up doing naturally. No, that's absolutely correct. And I think it's something that play by email games are built around a little bit, or at least we try to, when we design them, have goals, for example, in player briefings. So when we give a PC briefing to someone, we'll often have some goals already in there because it can kind of help give you a direction when you start with nothing and you might not know as much about the setting and things like that. It's kind of a nice jumping off point. When we have a, another episode in the future on plotting. We'll also talk about, you know, how you might see some goals for people in there as well. But there's a lot of, I think, here's a goal that you can follow and, and complete throughout the design of play by email games. Absolutely. And that's where that role uh, sort of excels. And I agree with Kyle that it is very much one that a lot of people transition in and out of, of the fire. I think it's the one that you probably, there are very few people who you would say, oh, that person's this one. Whereas with politician, with builder, with investigator, and the next one, we can all we can all name names of people who really fit that bill quite easily. Where I don't think there's anyone who's obviously in purely the troubleshooter role. So maybe I should cut it from you know future discussions. Maybe it's the worst of the weak, weakest of them, but we'll see. That then I think leads me on to the last and probably the most exciting one in some ways, which is what I've dubbed the contrarian. This is a player who thrives on conflict. They are not afraid to clash with player characters, non-player characters, or the kind of wider society of the game itself. And there are very few players who, who want this, but they will, they will tell you in the questionnaire. So you usually have a questionnaire, like question that will say something like, you know, do you like the idea of clashing with other players? And some people will be like, oh, oh no, oh no, please, anything but that. And there'll be some players who say, yes, please, that sounds wonderful. And that's what this role is kind of... They're contrarians, too. I don't think they'll say it quite like that. Some of them do, but that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's who this kind of role is for. And it's quite helpful, I think, to identify them before the game so you can sort of give them all the help fun with and sort of steer them correctly in various ways. Because I feel like the kind of people who thrive on conflict are, in many ways, the spice that makes games good. Like, without them, it can be a little bit too boring, I feel. But also, 
it is possible to have too much spice, which some people listening may disagree with, both in culinary terms and in mega game terms. But I think <laughs> when you've got some people who, you know, are, oh, I don't really want to clash with people. They can be awkward when they meet someone who always wants to clash with people. They love clashing. It's what they, they wake up every day and they choose violence. I think it's a great parallel to like conflict styles in, in real life too. I'm just thinking about I don't know. I feel like I have a very high tolerance for argumentation sometimes in real life. And I remember in college, there would be times where I'm having like this heated debate with someone and they'd just interrupt me and be like, no, no, I, I don't want to fight. And I'm like, oh, is, is that what we're doing? I just thought we were having this intense discussion. And so I think there are just people who are more or less comfortable with it in general and also in in playing their characters. But if, you know, everyone kind of got along in friendly kumbaya, we wouldn't really have stories to tell so there has to be conflict somewhere it doesn't always have to be within the players but it can be and that's where you want people like this and they're also good for those roles which aren't necessarily about conflict but are ones that will put them at odds with other people so if you have for example a criminal role a role that is just a little bit weird or dodgy maybe they're a good person to consider for that role and yeah, those are my those are my five kind of categories that I've been using to design PC concepts and are now revealed to the world. Uh, I doubt either of you's got any concepts kind of you've been hiding this whole time. But are there any sort of things that you think my model doesn't include or uh, additional profiles you can think of? I'm not sure if it's a profile, but there's also something for like the let let's call it a it kind of like a out there in terms of. People who aren't really builders, they're not really making it. They're just kind of there for a good time. They're just rooting. Because when you think of a builder, you're thinking of someone who's really like chipping away or working away at a project. But sometimes you don't get players like that. Sometimes you just get people who are like just enjoying the setting without rooting into it. I can think of a couple of players who fit into that, who are just having a good time. And they're not like social butterflies. They're not like political they're not working on a big project they're just enjoying it for what it is like making friends with characters and getting wrapped up into things without necessarily assertively doing that yeah that's fair i can think of one or two examples of that sort of role and i probably would awkwardly sort them into like builder or troubleshooter or politician but i agree that for some people that like that isn't necessarily the most accurate descriptor Though it sounds more like a play style necessarily than a concept design, right? True, like it and seems like probably not one you can design around. You can't really design around, mm-hmm. oh, just kind of vibe and have a good time. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess ultimately you want your protagonists to be proactive. And it's not a criticism on those who don't want to play that way, but you can't design a character like for people to play that way, I feel. Yeah, I don't have any others in particular. Just a thought. I wonder if there are some that exist, but we don't have on this list because we haven't had mechanics that lead well to them yet. Like I'm thinking we've had so many investigators because we've had a lot of games where mystery has been really important, right? That's been a key part of the plot. And obviously, as we've said, if there isn't a lot of mystery or investigation, you're not going to have investigators. And so I wonder if we'll see as we have people designing more games, other types of play styles and role designs that come out just based on other types of mechanics or plots or things like that, uh, that people are designing. I will be really excited to see that, I will say. Yeah. So I think the other thing I've got on my little notes in front of me here is outside of all the kind of 
profiles and things that I've made. You also need to think when you're making your PCs about what's more specific to your game. So for example, does your game have teams? Are there factions, organizations, nations, or even social classes, which players need to be sort of sorted between? So that's another kind of thing to work out when you're like creating your characters. What sort of grouping do they belong to? Do the groups need to be balanced? So roughly equal number of players in each of these big tentpole factions like in Dusk City? Or is it a bit more freeform? That sort of thing. Yeah, I think this can vary a lot based on, again, your specific game and setting. I'm thinking about like with Gods Wars, we had players who were sponsored by different gods. We had 13 gods and two players that were sponsored by each god. And so we wanted to kind of keep that similar across the board, but it wasn't really like groups necessarily because having like 13 groups of two doesn't really feel so much like a particular group, but it was kind of an important way that we distinguished between players and an important part of the identity of that character. Yeah, I think Dusk City and Afterlight, sorry, no, Dusk City and Ur were much more in this model and the upcoming game Tempest as well, whereas Afterlife and God's War were much less team-based, much more like, here's a bunch of uh, freaks and uh, weird people, go have fun with them. Well, with Dusk City, we classify them on a lore basis. We had like three divisions of... It's easy enough on the surface to talk about them as like the smart ones and the strong ones and the nice ones. But obviously there was like a lot of lore now going into that, things that we wanted to subvert. The smart ones were also quite cold and tended to be more individualistic. The nice ones also in some ways were a little misguided, a little naive. And then the strong ones also had this kind of familial bond. So while I had these groupings, it was important that not every PC archetype designed for each was, you know, stereotypically the smart one or the strong one, but that we covered all the different aspects and facets of the group. Just just embody the idea that these are rich groups, affiliations with a lot of history and a lot of, you know, differing and divergent opinions so that it really felt rich and textured as opposed to like everyone's the same. I really liked also in Dusk City that you had a factionless group as well. Like here are the three groups and here's the group for people who don't want to be in one of these three groups. And also that you were able to change between the groups if you wanted to based on sort of role-playing reasons. I think that made it a lot more interesting as well. I really liked, yeah, your point, Kyle, that you can explore the different sort of facets and nuances of groups with different characters. I think we'll come back to that exact point when talking about NPCs in a future episode, but I think it's a really good point for PCs as well, that, yeah, when you have a grouping, use different PCs to explore the different nuances of it, and it will make your setting just feel a lot more rich, and it can also lead to really interesting character relationships where, you know, they're in the same organization, they come from the same background, they have a lot in common, maybe they agree about some things, but there are also areas or practices where they don't agree, and that is just all wonderful kind of grist for the characterization mill. Uh, I think the last thing to talk about is just as you're making the briefs to keep in mind stuff that you might want sort of standardized across your PCs, things like 
everyone should start with two abilities, which will give certain kinds of mechanical bonuses, or everyone should start with connections to other PCs or NPCs. Sometimes you can standardize this number, but it doesn't have to be, or other things that might be relevant to your game in particular. It's a tricky one. I think for most games, you probably do want people on a roughly equal footing so people don't have like a major starting advantage or disadvantage, to be fair. Having said that, in Afterlife, there was definitely, or while everyone had the same number of like mechanical abilities going in, I deliberately gave people like very different information and amounts of information going in with one other player basically knowing nothing and some players starting the game with lots of info. But in my head, there were other things to kind of balance against that. Like, if you are a complete unknown who doesn't know anything, no one has any preconceptions about you. You don't start the game with anyone who is opposed to you because of your past or ideologically, whereas the people who knew more had reasons for people to go into the game with preconceptions or reasons not to like them. But that was interesting. I probably wouldn't recommend it. Not saying you shouldn't do it if you're playing making a game, but it's not perhaps the easiest way to do things because... Yeah, people don't like unfairness and you are making things more complicated for yourself by doing that. And I think it's certainly possible to balance some of those different aspects, as Stu mentioned, but don't kind of just do it because you're like, ooh, I want, you know, one person to have everything and another person to have nothing. Do that as NPCs if you find that concept interesting, but just don't do that to players because it's kind of mean. It's possible to balance it, but it's a lot easier from a design perspective to just say, all right, everybody gets two PC connections, two NPC connections, two abilities, and let's go from there. Uh, Yeah, I do feel that mechanically, in terms of what you do that relates to the game rules, no one should have an innate advantage or disadvantage, unless you've really got a very specific design goal in mind, which I can't really predict over a podcast. Yeah, also, just from a control point of view, simple is often better. We love to, I mean, I specifically love to over-design and make life hard for myself, but I'm learning. <laughs> you should you should not do that. In particular, when it comes to the PCs, because you'll have anywhere from like 12 to 20 to 30, and you want to make facilitating this game as smooth for yourself and your fellow control as possible. So giving too much variation from the initial concept is just going to complicate things further down the road that actually reminds me of a really good uh, point kyle which is that uh, in afterlife we had four characters who either started with or would develop abilities that were mechanically unique so they did a thing with mechanics that nothing else would do it was unique and special to them and on the one hand that's really cool that character's think completely special that's magically just theirs I will also say it was an absolute nightmare to remember, and I can't guarantee it always did get remembered in some cases, uh, because when you have someone who's an exception to the rule, like it's just a lot of extra kind of load to remember that they are an exception to the rule. So I'm not saying don't do that, but I probably would advise against it and having everyone working from the same rules. As tempting as it is to have people who are sort of mechanically special and different from the start, I just think you're making life more complex for yourself. It is very tempting to do. I find that lots of control when designing NPCs are like, ooh, but we could do this special thing that's exciting. And yeah, it is, but it is a lot. There's already a lot to remember and having mechanically special stuff is hard when there's no way to track it other than 
you just have to remember if like you've got the app to do it for you make like depending on the nature of whatever the hell the special thing is that might be perfect but yeah this is one of those situations where this is kind of the old man sort of waving his fist to say don't you know don't you do this be careful with this because i've done it and it is it is just difficult as fun as it is and i think on my dial warning not to make things too complicated for yourself that's probably a nice place for us to round out the episode so i hope everyone found this episode about how to sort of think about and design player character concepts somewhat useful uh, for those of you who are thinking about making games and those of you who aren't maybe you found it interesting to listen to sort of how we think about it and you won't have, you might start using my stupid little sort of profiles yourself when you look at the characters we designed you'll say oh that one's that one's a contrarian that one's a builder and you'll get some insight into how i think which i can only pity you for thanks for tuning in everyone that was your control panel. I love Michael. Hopefully we can fix that in editing. <laughs>